Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hold the Line. My name's Joe, and I'm a British force-free gun dog trainer. You can check out my online courses at forcefreegundog.com. The newest course is called Training the T Drill. You can also pick up a copy of my book called Force Free Gun Dog Training: The Fundamentals for Success, which is available on Amazon's everywhere around the world. There's also an accompanying workbook to record your training sessions in. I'm currently working on a sequel to Force Free Gun Dog Training. And I hope it's going to be out maybe in about six months. We'll see. That's all for now. Let's get on with the show. Train your gun dog without force or fear. Motivate and educate. Hold the line is here. Prevention, repetition, generalization, motivation. Hold the line. Hey everybody, guess what? It looks like we got the house. I say it looks like because it could all yet fall through, but we had our offer accepted and we just keep our fingers crossed that everything now goes according to plan. I've no idea how long it's going to take and when we're actually going to be moving, but it's looking really good at the moment. Until it's absolutely definite, I'm not going to tell you where it is. So you're just going to have to keep everything crossed, but it is... I just can't wait. I just It's too good to be true, really. So anyway, let's just not think about it anymore because it will just hurt too much if something does go wrong. Although it's looking really good at the moment. Hold the line. So I've got a bit of a theme for this week's episode and the theme is going to be chasing, as in specifically how to deal with it, how to prevent it, how to not have a dog which wants to chase bunnies and squirrels and things that run away. So... There are many different ways I'm going to approach this subject, and sometimes they might just be a little bit like throwing things at a wall and hoping that some of it sticks and makes sense to you in some level. It's not all going to be helpful for all of you because some of it is very dog specific and will depend very much on the individual dog you have, the stage of training they're at, their age and prior experience and so on and so forth. But I hope that some of it is going to be useful. So I think the first thing to say is that people often have this question, what do we do about chasing, when they already have a dog which chases and has decided that is really reinforcing and fun. And they're starting to feel a little bit kind of like they're not in control over the dog when they take the dog out into rural areas. And this is when they start to ask questions like, what do we do about this? Why is my dog doing this? How can I stop this? Blah, blah, blah. Now, The thing to say about that question or that situation is that it's a little bit like someone having a heart attack and then wondering what it's best to eat for heart health or what, you know, when, whether they should exercise or not. It's a little bit late. (laughs) It's a little bit late to be asking this question if you already have a dog, which is into chasing things. So. That's not to say you can't ask a question. Of course, you can ask a question. You can always learn for future dogs. But it's particularly important when we're dealing with positive reinforcement and we're trying to train dogs using force-free methods that we're thinking ahead and that we're looking ahead. We're thinking about the problems a dog is likely to have in future. And chasing is going to be an issue for any well-bred gun dog, really. So it's going to be something you're going to be thinking about from the start Um, rather than just finding that you have a your dog basically doing something that you don't want them to do because that is 
what often leads to people wanting to use punishment. And that's another reason why I want to talk about chasing in this episode, because I think unlike, I don't think there's any other aspect of gun dog training that is more likely to result in punishment than a dog trying to chase something. I just, I just can't think of it. I mean, even people who are able to train the retrieve using positive reinforcement methods sometimes can feel like they just don't have any choice other than to use punishment when it comes to the dog trying to do things that they really don't want to do, like chasing. Probably because it's so reinforcing and it feels like there's nothing that you can do to stop the behavior in that moment other than use aversives. That's, it kind of can feel to many trainers like that is the only option they have. So that's really why I particularly want to talk about it because people need tools and they need ideas and ways to approach all of this. So let's think about this in many different ways. And I have a few things to kind of throw out there. So the first thing to say is that And this is just a little thing, which it may not be very useful, but if you have a baby puppy, like a young, you know, eight to let's say 13, 14 week old puppy, so a puppy within the socialization period, and there's a particular um, thing you don't want them to chase, whatever it is, and you also don't want them to be positively interested in it either. You just want them to completely ignore it. You want it to be something that they don't take much interest in then one really effective way that you can achieve that is by taking your puppy and hanging out in the presence of whatever the 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 animal is <laughs> and just waiting for the pup to kind of get bored and the thing is that what we're using here we're using the same kind of um process which will be gone through by pup if you have chickens, for example, or if you have cats at home. So the pup is just basically growing up in a house with cats or chickens. Maybe the chickens aren't actually in your house. That would be a bit strange. But, you know, they're growing up with these animals as conspecifics. So they're kind of a little bit like, hey, this is like a brother or a sister, although they have feathers or, I don't know, walk in a kind of weird way being a cat. Um <laughs> And they're not a dog, but they are conspecifics. They are like brothers and sisters of a different ilk. So the pup learns that these are not beings to be chased. So we can kind of take advantage of this. And you you can, for example, hang out. So if you know somewhere where rabbits are likely to gather and eat and are happy to kind of hang out. They're not just going to run away and stay away as soon as you emerge, but maybe they're a little bit used to people, particularly if you keep a reasonable distance from them, but a distance where your puppy is able to be aware of them. And you have your puppy on a, on a lead or a puppy house line, so your puppy can't go chase them. And you have things to do with your pup, like maybe basic training exercises, or maybe you're just going to define it and sprinkle some food on the floor. And or you could be doing some mat training, just teaching a pup to hang out on a mat while there are bunnies eating a little distance away. So all this assumes that bunnies are not going to be something that you want to hunt with your dog later. So if you think about it, think about would you be happy for your dog to completely ignore rabbit when you're out? And if the answer is yes, you just want them to, you know, not point rabbit. If you've got a a HBR breed or a a pointer or a setter, you just want them to just breeze past and completely ignore this quarry, as it were. You want them to sort of be a bird dog. Then you might want to take this approach. So you might want to just hang out 
for a long period of time with the bunnies until they become a bit boring. And by the way, you, you don't also, you don't have to be very active in this whole process unless your particular puppy needs that. So you might find that your pup is happy just to lie on the mat with you and eat a Kong or just even lie there and watch the bunnies, but not show much interest in wanting to go to them. And that's ideal as well. So, so this is kind of perfect. Now this is only going to work with a puppy within the socialization period when they are in that age range where they are learning what is a conspecific. So just like you wouldn't take, I don't know, a three-year-old adult dog, which has got no history of ever having lived with a cat and just bring them into a house with a cat and expect them to be perfectly fine with that cat and not attempt to chase the cat. The reason the reason you wouldn't do that is because they're not within the socialization period. So it's the same thing. So you would only want to be doing what I'm describing here with bunnies if you have a puppy within the socialization period so they're able to still learn that bunnies are conspecifics and they're not very interesting and they're just part of the boring background of life, blah, blah, blah. And it just becomes a part of socialization like every other part of socialization. And as I said, you only want to do this if you don't want your puppy to point and acknowledge fur in the future. So if if you want them to point fur and you want that to be one of your quarry species, you don't want to be kind of habituating them to ignoring bunnies and thinking that bunnies are just uninteresting. So so that's one little tip that I have that is only going to be useful to you if you have or are about to have a little puppy, of course. And if you have access to somewhere where bunnies tend to come out and hang around, which by the way, does tend to be at dawn and dusk. Um, and the the summer evenings are a particularly nice time to be doing that with a baby puppy. If you have like a field where the rabbits will come and hop around and eat and you you can sit down and be very still with your puppy and just let your pup kind of watch them a bit. So that's the first thing that I would say. And that idea is, is not one that I've heard put about very much, maybe because, again, it's only relevant if you've got a little baby puppy. And most people end up in the situation when they've got an adult dog, which is already chasing. So it's not going to be very useful for those people. So the other thing, as I mentioned before, is you want to be actively working against this from day one. So we want to bring home our new baby puppy gun dog and think, hey, I've got a baby, I don't know, Spaniel, Labrador, HBR, whatever it is. And I'm going to look ahead. This is probably going to be a dog which wants to chase things. What am I going to do about that now? And as this puppy grows to address that so we don't end up with a teenage dog which flushes a rabbit and just chases it. And that's all they know how to do because they haven't ever been taught how to do anything else. So we really want to be prioritizing teaching our puppy the remote stop. And for some people that might be a remote sit. For others, they might just want their dog to stop in, in, a, in a stand. It depends on the subgroup of gun dog you have. But whatever position you want the dog to assume, you want to be working on this from baby puppyhood. And once you've got your remote stop working, so the first stage of training the remote stop is to just get a dog that they can be out running about in a rural environment. And as soon as you peep your whistle, they will stop still. So you don't really want to be training it around game at first or around anything that is moving or running. You just want to be working on the idea of the dog being free and maybe there's interesting scent around, but there's not a, a chaseable animal, <laughs> as it were. So you would just peep your your um, whistle and have your dog stop. So that's the first goal. And it's important that you achieve that before you make things any harder, because if you don't have a reliable remote stop, 
when there isn't a bunny running away, then you're not going to have a remote, a reliable remote stop when there is a bunny or squirrel or bird running away or hare. So this is like a priority and it's really important that you acknowledge it as such and work on it as such. So once you've got a reliable remote stop without any interesting stuff to chase, then you're going to work on attaching that remote stop to many different cues. So the cues are going to be things that are happening when there is <laughs> there's an animal flushing. So basically, think about the situation of a flush, whether it's a bird or whether it's something on the ground. So what happens is there's a sudden movement away from the dog. And sometimes that movement goes along the ground. And sometimes that movement goes up into the air if it's a bird. So how can we imitate that, replicate that, and make that the dog's experience of something moving suddenly away from them become a cue for the dog to sit or stand if you prefer. So so that would be the the next thing to start to be thinking about. And the other thing is shot. So by this point, hopefully we've got our remote stop on a whistle because that's part of the initial training. So we then want to get our remote stop on shot so that when the dog hears a shot to the dog, the shot means sit or stop. And it's important that we do this before we get the shot introduced to something flying through the air. So one big mistake that I see people make is that they don't do anything with shot at all until they end up in some kind of group training class where people are firing shots and throwing things. And this is all very exciting for the dog. And the dog associates the shot with the excitement of seeing that thing flying through the air. Now, the difficulty with that is the dog's first experience of something is going to be hugely um, influential and make a big impact on the dog. So if the dog's first experience of shot is arousal levels going to force 15 or something and massive excitement and something moving which triggers them to want to go to it then that is going to be a really hard learning experience to undo if you in future want shot to mean sit or stop or don't go to it so i highly recommend that you make sure that before you get into the situation of being at a group training class and stuff being thrown around after shot has happened that you have before that taught your dog that shot means sit because then you'll have firmly established that in your dog's mind and the shot kind of won't get connected to that idea of chasing or running or, or arousal levels mark five what sorry mark 10 or 15 or whatever it was like i said before um because we've done prior training to teach the dog that it doesn't mean that and it means stop and it means sit and blah 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 so if you think about it there's nothing within the sound of a shot itself before the dog has experienced being shot over before the dog has experienced game before the dog has any experience of anything there's nothing really innately about in inside the sound of a shot which should elicit such such feelings of excitement and uh high arousal so we need to kind of take that sound as as a neutral thing to begin with, and then teach the dog that that sound actually means put your bum on the floor in the same way that the word sit or hup, whatever word that you use, or your whistle cue, for example, means put your bum on the floor. And, you know, we wouldn't expect 
our word sit or hup or the whistle to result in massive arousal levels for the dog. And in the same way, we shouldn't expect that shot should result in massive arousal levels for the dog. If it does, it means that the dog's first experiences of it have not been calm and have not been um, put your bum on the floor. They haven't meant to put your bum on the floor in a sit or stand still. I hope this is making some sense, by the way, guys. It's sounding a little bit waffly to me at the moment as I'm listening to myself talking. So I hope you're understanding what I'm trying to say. Anyway, um, what I'm trying to think of is if you had a dog sitting at heel, let's say we're in a retrieving scenario and you were about to send the dog for a retrieve and you have the dog sitting at heel and there's a mark which is about to happen out in front of you. Someone's going to throw a retrieve. Then if you said to the dog, sit as a reminder that they should sit and that they shouldn't go, the dog isn't going to hear that word sit and get incredibly excited and, and ramped up about hearing the word sit, are they? You wouldn't expect your dog to behave like that when they heard the word sit. That would be a bit unexpected. And that's how we need to think about the shot. So when the dog hears the shot, they should equally not get really excited and ramped up because they should hear that shot as sit, as the same thing as your word, sit, as reminding them of where they should put their bum on the floor. And this is a really subtle thing that I'm trying to get across to you guys, which is probably why it's quite hard to get across. Um, but it's also really, really important. It's really important because the sound is the same. It's still a shot. It still sounds exactly the same. But the meaning that it conveys is very, very different. So... Okay, folks, it's time for a whistle pause. A whistle pause is when there would usually be an advert from a sponsor. But I don't have a sponsor, so instead I'm going to play you a tune on my trusty Acme 212. Now the tune there is slightly hampered by the fact that the 212 is just one pitch, but I hope you can appreciate the rhythm. Now the reason that we've got this beautiful whistle pause instead of an advert is because I don't get any funding for this podcast or sponsorship. I record it, edit it, upload it myself and I pay for the server. I don't want to get a sponsor because then I have to promote whatever business is sponsoring me. And apart from the fact that I think that most dog products are bollocks, I would lose some of the independence and the freedom that I have at the moment to say whatever I want to say about whatever I want to say it about. But if you want to support me, and if you like this podcast, then there are some ways that you can support me, which will also benefit you, I hope. So you can check out the online courses I make, which you can find at forcefreegundog.com. And you can also check out my book, Force Free Gundog Training, and the accompanying workbook for it, which is a planner called The Workbook. You can get both of these from Amazon wherever you live in the world. So I really hope you can support me and check out some of this material. Anyway, that is the end of today's whistle pause. Let's get back to the show. Yeah. This is, this is the next thing that's important, is to make sure that you get shot, meaning stop. Or sit, if you want a sit instead of a stand. So let's assume we've done that. We've got our dog stopping to whistle, stopping to a verbal cue, stopping to shot. And they really do understand that shot means stop. And by the way, guys, I haven't really talked much about how to do that or how to train the remote stop here. If you want to know about that in more detail, I have an online course called, I believe, 
the remote stop. <laughs> um, and you can check that out on my website, which is forcefreegundog.com. So on that course, we go right up to teaching the dog to sit to shot. We don't go too much into how to stop the dog from chasing and how to how to attach that to chasing but we do have a few there's a module at the end where we start to touch on it and there will be a future course where we go into that side of things in a lot more detail but as always basics are really important and the future course the more advanced course where we do go into all the sexy stuff of how to stop the dog chasing things is going to assume that you've got this previous course under your belt and your dog has followed this method as an introduction so go check it out it's remote stop and it's on my website, forcefreegundog.com. So after we've got the dog sitting to shot, we then want to attach the same behavior to all kinds of things moving in the ways that game move. So game flies through the air. Game goes along the floor. So we can teach the dog that when something is moving through the air, which can be something we throw to begin with, that we want the dog to understand that as a cue to put their butt on the floor. And the way that we do that is in the way that we attach all cues in force retraining with new cue, old cue. So if the new cue is something flying through the air, the old cue is, let's say, our whistle peep, then what we would do is we would throw something through the air and we would peep our whistle. And so here we're attaching new cue, old cue. So eventually what we want is that we throw something through the air. We don't need to even blow a whistle. The dog anticipates that this is going to be a, a sit behavior that we're going to re request. And they're going to go into that position or stop if you prefer um, by themselves without us cueing it. So just so that at that point, the movement of something through the air becomes the cue to stop. And that's that's our goal. That's what we want. So. When you're first doing this, it's important that you, whatever you throw through the air, you throw it in such a way that you're able to pick it up should the dog not be steady, of course. So you're going to throw it in a way that it lands closer to you than to the dog. So that should the dog not be steady and try to run in and get the thing, that you're able to pick it up and remove it before they can get it. What you might do at that point is reduce the excitement level of the thing you're throwing. So if you throw this thing really high, and if it's something really exciting, then that's going to make the dog want to go and get it much more than if you do quite a boring little ploppy throw to your side and it's something which isn't very exciting for the dog. So you might want to start with like, I don't know, an ordinary bumper or dummy, which are just kind of tossing out at waist height a couple of meters away and then you're blowing your whistle. And then I suggest you either walk up to the dog, reinforce the dog for sitting and then leave the dog in a sit stay while you go pick up the object or if the object's really near, you can pick up the object first while the dog is, is sitting, walk to the dog, reinforce the dog, and then release them. But what you don't want is that you release the dog and they just go get the thing. So you have to pick that thing up before the dog gets released. So the dog doesn't get the thing. Because this isn't about a retrieve and we don't want the dog to start anticipating a retrieve. We just want this to be something goes through the air and you stop. And that's all. That's the whole purpose of the thing in the air. It's just to become the cue to stop. It's not at this point a retrieve. And that's important because if the dog anticipates that this is about to be a retrieve and they're going to be sent for it, then you can start to lose that stop. So they can start to think, oh, this is the thing that I get sent to retrieve. I'll just skip out the stop part and I'll go and get it for you right now. And we don't want that. So we're, we're not going to have this, have the retrieve as part of this behavior at first. We're going to just begin with picking it up and re rewarding the dog, reinforcing the dog and then releasing them. And when we talk about reinforcing the dog, 
there are two things, two ways that we can reinforce the dog when we're working with things that are moving like this, which tend to elicit a chase response. One thing we can use is food, obviously, as I just described. Another is we can use a toy of some description. And when we're using a toy, I tend to really like either a small portable flirt pole or a tug toy if the dog can be into it. Some dogs really prefer flirt flirt poles over tug toys. I don't know why, because we can make tug toys pretty exciting, but for some reason they just prefer the flirt pole thing. So you can get pretty small portable flirt poles that you can just kind of stick into the back of your training vest and produce out really quite quickly. So you can use those or you can use food. It just depends on your dog on what works best for your dog. I tend to find that dogs have a strong preference for either a toy at this moment or for food. And you'll kind of probably know by now which of those your dog is. Some dogs, because when when they're in that kind of mood where they just want to chase something, we could say, you know, when their prey drive is kind of um, awakened, as it were, that sometimes they just don't want to accept food. It's, it's, not, a, it's not an acceptable substitute <laughs> in that moment for this dog. They want to chase something. And so if you've got a dog like that, which really wants to chase something and they want an outlet for that prey drive, then instead of it being the thing that we threw or the bunny or the bird or whatever it is that flushed, we can provide the alternative reinforcer. <clears throat> we can produce the flirt pull or the tug toy or the thing for the dog to have instead. And obviously we're going to have a cue that tells the dog that they're going to get that. So my cue is tag. That's the cue that I use, which means you're going to get a flirt pull reinforcer. And if I was using a feed reinforcer for a remote stop, by this point, by the time we're working on really exciting, tempting things, I'm probably using a really tasty um, food treat, probably equal to my recall treats. And I'd be walking up to the dog and giving them that really tasty treat in position with their butt on the floor in the sit. And then I'd be releasing them after that, assuming I picked up the object before. All right, so let's assume we've got our um, our dog is able to sit when we throw out boring bumper to our side and we can pick up the bumper. We go and reinforce the dog and release the dog. So assuming we've got that, it's about di- gradually dialing up that the excitement of the thing that we're throwing. And we can be a bit unpredictable here. So you can experiment with, for example, bunny balls, which are just basically tennis balls covered in rabbit fur. And the good thing about these is you can sort of roll them along the floor so they look a little bit like a bunny bolting. And if you catch the dog unawares when they're kind of distracted a little bit, they're not expecting it, then this can really simulate a rabbit bolting, particularly if you sort of roll it into a hedge where a rabbit might run or something. So so that's one idea. Um, If you are rolling things along the floor, just be aware that it's a little harder to control where they go. And it's, you know, because you're rolling it away from you and that's, it has, it's inevitable. It's going to be away from you that it's a bit harder to control how to get it before the dog gets it, basically, if the dog's not steady. So I suggest you're kind of careful with the direction that you roll it, the speed that you roll at and all of that. And you've done some work probably with throwing things first before you move on to rolling things. So you can also get some toys that are exciting. So for example, if you've got like a a floppy flappy toy, even a squeaky toy, um, dogs get very excited when they hear squeaky things. And this toy, by the way, may not resemble game in any way. It may, for example, I I used last week a a purple wubber dog toy, which made a squeaky noise, like it squeaks. Um, And I don't usually give my dogs squeaky toys. So this is particularly exciting. And what I was doing was just basically... While my dog was 
quartering, I was getting this out of my pocket and the dog hadn't seen me do that. And I was squeaking it twice and then throwing it. And the dog was hearing that and going into their remote sit automatically. So the thing to say about this is that the things, the items that we use to throw don't have to be game or even really attempt to resemble game. What they have to be is something the dog wants, because that is that that is what's happening with the game. It's something the dog really wants. So as long as you're throwing something the dog really wants, you're practicing this something unexpected happening, which I really want, which moves and I go into a sit. That's the thing we want the dog to understand or or, or to stand if you want to stand instead. So so I hope that that helps a little bit and gives you some ideas. There are also things that, for example, you can get some kids toys which wobble about a bit on the floor and the kind of jiggly balls and things. And they, they don't look anything like game whatsoever. They're like hard plastic. And you can just use those as they are because they're very exciting as they are. You can also just get a rabbit pelt and cover the jiggly ball with the rabbit pelt and with a couple of elastic bands to strap the the rabbit pelt onto the jiggly ball. And then what you've got is a kind of moving, wiggling thing that looks like some rabbit in death throws. And that's very exciting. So you can kind of throw that as well and practice the dog going into a stop. So what you're trying to do here is teach the dog that you're out and about, you're hunting, you're on your own sort of, you know, you're freely investigating the world as it were. And then something happens and that that something is something that moves, whether it's through the air or whether it's along the ground. And it's going to be something that you want. And when that happens, you're going to go into a sit. And this is what we're teaching the dog to do here. And I stress again that retrieving is not part of this at all. So it's important that we separate these two things out from each other, the hunting and the steadiness side of things. And then the retrieving side of things, we keep them very separate for a long time when we're training beginner dogs. So I hope that that really helps. Now, the thing to say about all of this is that there might be times when, you know, because we, we live in a real world, don't we? We don't we don't live in a an ideal world where we can control the environment perfectly. And the things to say about gun dog training and gun dog work, which makes it really challenging, is that we can't control when bunnies are going to pop up from behind bushes and if our dog is going to be ready for that yet but when they first encounter a bunny or not. Um, so if your dog does happen to peg a mixy bunny or something or, you know, have a little chase or something, don't get really upset about it. If they do peg the bunny, just encourage them to retrieve it to you as they would if it had been shot. Don't Don't be aghast at the fact that your dog has successfully pegged something. By the way, if, if people are listening from North America and they don't understand what pegged means, it means a dog has got game which hasn't been shot. So they have, I don't know, chased a living bunny and managed to get it in their mouth or grabbed a, a, a pheasant while it was taking off or something and managed to get it in their mouth, but it hasn't been shot. So if that happens and it's one of your dog's first experiences with game, you're not going to be really angry or upset because as I said, this is your, one of your dog's first experiences with game. You don't want to put them off game that would not be a good idea. So instead, the mistake has already happened and you can't undo that mistake now. It's in the past. But what you're going to do is just encourage your dog to retrieve that item to you, game to you, just as if it had been shot. So that at least you can give your dog a bit of, you know, experience of retrieving and get that part of things to be something useful, even if the way the dog got the the game was not ideal. 
So, and if a chase happens, do you know, the thing I want to say about that is it's not always a terrible thing. And this, this is an interesting thing, which depends very much on the dog. Now, I'm very interested in this, by the way. So I'll give you a little story here. So my, my Labrador Moy, who's now eight years old, eight and a half years old, she is now so steady on rabbits that she just, she actually ignores them. She's not very interested in them. So if we move into an area and there are rabbits there and, and she sees the rabbits run away because they've become aware of her, she's just completely ignores them. She's just no interest in chasing them whatsoever. And this was not how she began when she was, I don't know, a year, a year and a half old. In fact, I remember trying to do some work with the bolting rabbit with her. The bolting rabbit is this furry fake um rabbit it's a it's a bumper it's a dummy wrapped in rabbit fur and attached to a giant piece of elastic which we stretch across the ground and when we pull the pin on one end of that piece of elastic it fires the rabbit along the ground really really fast like a rabbit which is bolting or hare and the idea is to practice the dog going into a sit when they experience this happening now moy found this really hard i was i did it one of my one of my own gundog training classes and we were miles away like people were progressing forwards as the dog was able to be steady and as the dog was able to go into a sit when the bunny bolted so if if the dog was reliably able to do that they could approach closer if the dog was not able to do that they had to move away and moy was just so into this bunny fake bunny that we were way at the way 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 far away from the the bunny um, much further than everybody else. And she was still interested in trying to chase it. And I remember thinking at the time, what am I going to do with this dog? She's just so into chasing stuff. What are we going to do? So here she is at eight and a half. Now, what's happened? Have I done loads of training on not chasing stuff? Well, I've done some training on not chasing stuff. We did go to a rabbit pen, but I don't think that is the cause of this change. Now, instead, what's happened is Moy's learned that she never gets the bunny that it's just not possible to get the bunny. The bunnies are really fast. They go faster than you. They move faster than you. It's a bit pointless trying to chase them, frankly, because you never get them. So what's the point? Just ignore them. They're just tantalizing little things that appear and disappear and just ignore them because it's too painful to try to get them and not get them. So you could say in a way that Moy's exposure to rabbits over many years has kind of led her to become a bit habituated to them and less interested in them because she doesn't get them. Now, that wouldn't happen to all dogs. So some dogs could instead become really, really into urgently trying to chase the bunny and they would never stop. As soon as there was a a bunny moving, they would just be there instantly and it would go the other direction. It would basically mean that we'd just go the other direction. The dog would get addicted to chasing instead. And the thing to say here is it's about the raw material. It's about the dog themselves which decides in what direction things are going to evolve here, whether they're going to evolve in the direction of repeated exposure leading to habituation and less interest and just letting the bunnies be bunnies, or whether they're going to evolve into um, being a bit frustrated and being extra interested and trying extra hard and being really addicted to to chasing these bunnies, even if you never get them, because the chase itself is so reinforcing, even if you never get the bunny. Now, which way things are going to evolve for any one particular dog, it's really difficult to predict in advance. So I'm a little reluctant to just tell you, oh, just keep exposing your dog to running rabbits because eventually your dog will habituate and get bored because that may not happen. It depends very much on your individual dog. 
my kind of hunch is that the dogs with the strongest prey drive, the dogs which really like to um, play tuggy, the dogs which really want to just run at the thing and get the thing, probably it's going to be the HBR breeds. They're going to be harder to, they're going to be more into trying to chase the thing, even if they're repeatedly exposed to it, than maybe retrieving breeds like Labradors, which may habituate and be less interested in, in that side of things through repeated exposure. That's my hunch. That doesn't mean that it's going to apply to every Labrador, every HBR. So yeah, so hopefully this is useful for some people, my kind of waffling on here. Um, the other thing I say is about rabbit pens. So in the UK, we are lucky in that we have these pens where rabbits are kept for us to be able to practice steadiness with them. So these are like wire pens and they have a wire base to them as well. So the bunnies can't dig their way out and they kind of, they really are kept within the pen and there are hiding places in the pen for them. So there are like um, bushes or some people cut down branches of trees and pile them out so the rabbits can go hide in the branches of trees. Some people use um, pipes like drainage pipes and things so they can bolt and hide in those tubes. So the idea is that you can go in there with your dog and you probably want to go in there with your dog on the lead at first if you're not sure that they're going to be steady because remember the fact that the bunnies can't actually get away they can't dig burrows here means that if you if you have an unsteady dog they are really at risk of pegging a a bunny in a rabbit pen scenario so you want to go in there with your dog on the lead at first until you really trust the dog and then you probably want to go in there with your dog on a long line before you would ever risk having the dog completely off the lead um, and the idea is you just want to use that bunny as another moving thing, which cues the dog to sit. So before you get to that point, you want to make sure that you've done lots of preliminary training involving moving stuff, meaning sits. You want to make sure you've done your bunny balls. You want to make sure that you've done, you've thrown all kinds of different things. And you've got to that point where this is really reliable and the dog experiences something moving as a cue to sit before you go anywhere near bunnies, real bunnies in a rabbit pen. But when you get to that point, the rabbit pen is a really, really useful stage of training in terms of generalizing all of this. And the other thing I want to say is about when you're training, the, the unpredictability of things as well. So this is a big, um, this, this, this crosses against, this goes through lots of different um, training scenarios, the subject. But basically, the more that you repeat something, the more the dog is expecting that cue to happen so the more that you this, and this works for any behavior so if you for example say sit 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 and you're clicking and treating each behavior as the dog does it correctly so you're not repeating the cue but you're saying sit and the dog is sitting and you're clicking and you're giving them a treat and then you're saying sit again the dog is sitting you're clicking you're giving them a treat um, or the same thing with down or whatever the behavior is the more that you're practicing the same behavior over and over and over and over again the more the dog comes to expect that the next thing you're going to cue is that behavior. And this is something we have to work against a lot in a lot of other dog sports because, you know, we want the dog to be able to to hear it, to really listen to our cues. And in competition obedience, for example, you'll get people cueing a down and then a sit and then a stand. And you'll get those three behaviors in different patterns. So you won't be able to predict in advance what the pattern is going to be sometimes. And it's important that the dog is able to hear the cue and respond and doesn't get on, doesn't get into autopilot. So, we can use this in different ways in training. So when we're starting out this idea of the dog sitting to a moving object, we can begin by practicing this frequently, like over and over again in a session. So we go out with the dog, the dog is free, and we have our object, which we're throwing or rolling or whatever. And 
the dog goes into the position when the thing is thrown and we reinforce the dog and then we do another rep and another rep and we immediately do another rep, immediately do another rep. And the dog is really coming to expect this. They're really coming to think, when is she going to throw that thing again? Because I'm going to go into a sit when she throws the thing and they're really anticipating it. So that's the easiest version of things. Now, the hardest version of things is a dog which is freely running around really into the environment and really focused on exploring and you haven't cued them to do anything you're just hunting the dog and then unexpectedly when the dog is really not aware that you've got the object in your hand out of your coat pocket you whip this thing across the across in front of the dog and it's the unexpected nature it's like there is only one rep maybe of this behavior in this entire training session which takes the dog by surprise and I'm going to interrupt this fabulous discussion to bring you today's whistle pause. The whistle pause is where an ad break would usually be, but I don't have an ad break. I just have me and my whistle, my trusty T12, on which I'm going to play you a tune. The sad thing about my whistle at the moment is that it's dying a little bit, so bits of plastic have broken off. So it will only blow if I blow it really loudly, then a note will come out. Otherwise, it's this kind of whispery, hoarse, airy, breathy noise. So I've got another whistle on order, and I'd like to reassure you that the the whistle pause will improve in quality in future episodes. Now, the reason we don't have an ad break here and you have this whistle pause instead is because I don't have a sponsor. I don't want a sponsor because I want to be completely free to recommend the products I want to recommend and I don't want to have to recommend a product that I don't believe in or love in order to get sponsorship. So there are some ways you can support me though because otherwise it is just me making this podcast. So if you like this podcast, there are some simple things and free things that you can do. One is to share it and to tell other people about it and to post it on social media and to promote it whenever you can. The other thing you can do will benefit you as well, I hope. You can check out some of my courses, my online platform, forcefreegundog.com. And you can also check out my book, Force Free Gundog Training, and the accompanying workbook for it, which is a planner called The Workbook. You can get both of these from Amazon, wherever you live. That is the end of today's whistle pause. Let's get back to the show. you know that kind of replicates what what will usually happen with with an animal whether it's a bird or a bunny because we don't get you know a bird and then a bird and then a bird and then a bird or a bunny and then a bunny and then a bunny like like that do we we usually have nothing for absolutely ages and then something really exciting happens so that's the point where we want to get our training to when we're using our alternative objects whatever they are i want to get to the point where the dog can have absolutely nothing happening from us and no sit cue at all. And then something really exciting happens and they can still respond reliably. So so that's another little tip. And you'll notice in all of this, I haven't talked much about what to do with dogs that already chase. Now, in the worst case scenario, you might have to have the dog on a long line while you do all of this training and try and reteach the dog to do all of these behaviors instead of chase. That's going to be your best kind of outlet and your best approach to all of this 
And that may mean that you don't really get much of a chance to hunt the dog anymore. So instead of having in your mind the idea of going out to an open area and quartering the dog while you train, that you might instead have the idea of, okay, we're going to this area, but I'm only going to use like, I don't know, 20 yards, 20 square yards of this massive area because I'm going to remain in this small area here and I'm just going to work on the idea of the dog sitting to this thing moving. And this is all I'm going to work on. And until we've got this perfect, this smaller area, we're not going to increase the area. I'm not going to hunt the dog. And you may be in one of these situations where you need to provide exercise for your dog in some other way, whether that is running with your dog on a lead, whether it's bike, bike drawing with your dog. Um, but you're not going to probably be able to allow your dog to have this kind of free hunting off-leash exercise because you're risking the dog putting up game and it becoming a chase situation before you've taught the dog what to do in all these other ways. So, And this is another reason why you want to get all this done with a little pup. So you want to get it done with a little pup, not just because you you want it to be in place, but also because you don't want the dog to have an experience of chasing his fun before you have put some of this in place or a lot of this in place, if that makes any sense. And again, I've mentioned this before, but this goes against the grain of what is done when people train traditionally using e-collars. So when people train traditionally using e-collars, the whole approach to this entire subject is very different. So the approach there becomes, let the dog just go out there and teach themselves how to use game. Let them learn how fun game is. Let them point and hold a point. And if they decide to go in after pointing for a while, that's fine. And if, if the animal moves and runs and they want to chase it for a bit, that's fine. Because at some point we're going to quote unquote break the dog. We're going to produce our e-collar and we're going to bring an end to all of this free hunting and running and chasing stuff. And we have it within our power to do that because we have this e-collar that we're going to put on the dog at this point. So you could say, in fact, that it's even more important for people who are training using strong aversives like e-collars to allow the dog first to learn how much fun game is and how reinforcing it is and to really get the dog addicted to that without any kind of control or punishment involved because you don't want the dog to associate game with the punisher, which is the e-collar or the aversive, which is the e-collar, because it could put them off game forever. So if your dog hasn't experienced much game before and they've been kept away from it and protected and kind of kept on a long line, and then you put an e-collar on your dog, you decide to go out and teach your dog how to behave around game. And this is your dog's one of your dog's first experiences with game. They're going to associate their e-collar with the game and may blink game forevermore and pretend it doesn't exist and just ignore it because they associate it with that e-collar. So that's why people who do use e-collars have evolved this system whereby there's this early period where the dog is allowed to do whatever they want to do within reason with game, to chase it, to have fun with it, even to peg it and to get it in their mouth. In fact, some people will cut the flight feathers on birds in North America and allow the puppies to actually catch the game so that you can learn that it's possible to get it, which just increases their arousal and their drive even more. And the goal there is to just build the dog's positive feelings about game so much that even when a strong aversive like an e-collar is introduced at a later stage, it's not enough to put the dog off the game. And the dog knows that the game itself doesn't cause the aversive because they experienced so much game earlier on and never experienced the aversive then. So the thing I want to say here is that these are very different approaches here. And where you'll get into trouble is if you don't want to use aversives with your dog 
and you've decided you want to train in a force-free way and you go along to some traditional training group where e-collars will eventually be used for other people and other people's dogs and the goal is to just let the puppies have fun with game and chase game and point game and get them addicted to game because what will happen then if you don't want to use an e-collar is you may find it really really hard to get that control in so if you're training using force-free methods there's a very different approach to take to all of this from the start it's very different you can't follow the same path that everybody else who uses traditional methods is going to follow from the beginning and get your your young dog addicted to having fun with game and chasing game and doing whatever they like with game because you're not going to use an e-collar later on and this is going to spell difficulty for you basically in terms of everything we talked about earlier on in this podcast that you want to instead have been putting in place during this time so i hope that this makes some sense to people and is useful in some way or other there aren't any magic solutions so i know that everybody wants to hear me say oh, you have a dog that chases, you need to do this. And it's like a really concrete, obvious thing, which you just hear it and you just know that, ah, that's going to fix all my problems. I'm just going to do this thing. But there isn't a a solution like that. And often it is repetition and it's the gradual um, introduction of things which simulate game, both in terms of what they are, in terms of how they move. And it just involves manipulating all of that and being aware of all of that. So there isn't a magic, a magic wand I can give you or a magic answer that I can give you. Still, I hope that's been useful. So just as a little recap, if you have a baby puppy, think about the idea of hanging out in the presence of game, which you might want the puppy to ignore in future so that the puppy habituates to it and experiences it as a kind of conspecific and doesn't develop the desire to chase that particular species. It's just a little interesting idea, that one. Two, um, you want to be actively working against the idea of chasing from day one. So you want to be putting stuff in place and gradually training this behavior from the beginning. You don't want to be waiting until you've got a teenager who really needs lots of exercise or wants lots of exercise and it's kind of climbing the walls and you haven't put any of this in place because you're going to find that really difficult. So it's the remote stop that you want to be working on. And once you've taught the remote stop around nothing very interesting but just being out and about in a rural environment and it's reliable then you want to introduce it and teach the dog that there are all these other cues that mean stop and the cues are shot and the cues are also things flying through the air rolling along the ground and they are things that you want there will be things that you want appearing unexpectedly and moving excitingly and you will sit when those things happen and then the fact that there are different dogs and different dogs will evolve differently and that's according to aspects of their personality things that we can't control genetics it's things that we can't influence here and some dogs repeatedly exposed to things they can chase might habituate to them get bored of them other dogs might instead get sensitized to the excitement of just trying to chase the thing and just really want to get more and more and more of that thing and it's hard to predict in advance which way things are going to go there there are things like bolting rabbits and there are things like rabbit pens One little thing to say about those, by the way, which I haven't said, is these things may result in frustration for your dog. And frustration is not always helpful in training. So if you have a dog which, you know, when they see the bunny, whether it's the real bunny or the bolting rabbit bunny, um, just gets incredibly frustrated on the leash with you and finds it really hard to be calm 
no matter what distance you are, then you might need a different approach to things. You might need to just move away from from that thing for a while and build up to it using things that you can throw and roll and or maybe even have somebody else throw a roll which gradually simulate simulate this um real bunny or bolting rabbit and um i think is that pretty much all that's pretty much all really oh the idea of shot and the idea of shot being this thing that you want to teach the dog means stop and you want to make sure that the dog learns that before people start firing starting pistols and throwing exciting things in group training classes because that's going to teach the dog that shot means wow something exciting is going to fly through the air and you're going to go and get it and that way lies unsteadiness so you want to be using if you don't have a gun by the way you can use party popper and you can use a starting pistol you can use Anything that goes bang and makes and sounds like a gun noise, really, you can use. So I hope some of these ideas have been useful for people who are experiencing chasing problems. If you want to delve into all of this in more detail, then I have two courses on my website which are available online and address all of this. So one is the one I've mentioned, Remote Stop. And that's the one that's going to give you that basic behavior of the dog stopping on your whistle cue if you want a whistle cue and that being reliable generally in a rural environment with the normal distractions that you might expect to be around like scent and that kind of stuff and then towards the end we do begin to touch on attaching other cues to that behavior like the cues of things moving but we don't go into that in a lot of detail there's going to be another course coming out which is going to go into the more advanced side of the remote stop And the other course which might interest you, which is already out, is called Steady, which is kind of partly about um, resisting the temptation to chase and being reinforced using flirt poles and toys. And so if you've got a dog which really likes to play tug or, um, yeah, play with a flirt pole and that kind of thing, then then that course is going to be really useful for you as well with this behavior. So it's kind of those two courses and kind of like two sides of the same coin and they really complement each other. So I highly recommend you check out Steady and Remote Stop and they're on my website, forcefreegundog.com. That's all for this week, everybody. I will be back soon. Hold, hold